The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Inspire Us. I'm Paul Nadeau. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with my cousin, Dr. Jacques Delaire. Actually, in this episode, he does most of the talking and I listen, because we share the same values, the same understanding of how the human mind works, and he puts it so well. You'll hear why by the end of the episode, and you'll get so much from this episode. But let me tell you a little bit about this man first. Dr. Delaire is an internationally recognized performance specialist who received his doctorate in exercise physiology from the University of Alberta in 1979. Over the past 49 years, he has worked with thousands of individuals from high-performance sports world and beyond, including law enforcement and other high-risk occupational professions. He's also worked with the entertainment world and the business community. He splits his time delivering sports team and corporate group performance programs, as well as individual one-on-one programs with high-performance clients. Dr. Delaire is president of the Performance Prime, a North Carolina-based company which he founded, and he has authored three books, Performance Thinking, Mental Skills for the Competitive World and for Life, Helping Kids Perform, Mental Skills Every Parent, Teacher, and Coach Should Master, and third, Performance Thinking for Law Enforcement. He is the founding member of the International Council of Motorsports Sciences, and in 2007 was inducted into the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame recognizing the positive impact his work has made in the sport of motor racing. In this episode, Dr. Delaire discusses how focusing on results is fundamentally the wrong thing to do if we're after the best results. He presents a simple formula to help each of us achieve the absolute best results, and this formula can be applied to our current pandemic circumstances to help us reduce the levels of anxiety we may be experiencing. What if you were able to program your mind to reduce the worry of the COVID-19 outcome? Well, you can. You'll find the answers in this episode, ones you'll immediately be able to apply to your life to help you focus on what really matters. And now, here's Dr. Delaire. Welcome, Dr. Jacques Delaire. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Paul. I'm looking forward to our chat. Well, I've known you for many years. We're related. And you have a very interesting background. You are an internationally recognized performance specialist who received your doctorate in exercise physiology from the University of Alberta in 1979. And for the past 49 years, you have been working with thousands of individuals who are from the high-performance sport world and beyond, and that includes law enforcement and other high-risk occupation professions. I know there's so much more, which I will provide our listeners with your bio, 
before they actually hear our conversation. But really, tell me what your work has entitled and what you've discovered about high performance and how how we, in a time like this, can access some of our tools to help us perform at a higher level or, or at a more comfortable level, because we're all going through some difficult times here, Jacques. We certainly are, and the COVID-19 environment has changed the world, and not just for the moment, but I think for the future as well. I think of myself simply as an information pimp. My job is to educate. That's what I do. I share information with my clients and friends that is simply designed to help them to understand how they mentally sabotage themselves, how they mentally sabotage their own performance, and how the way they think impacts how they feel, how they behave, and ultimately how they perform. So my goal, my interest in working with these high-performance people is performance. But there's a tight link between the mental skills toolbox that we all possess and how the way we think not only impacts our performance, but also impacts this corrosive emotion that we call anxiety. And I think you'd probably agree with me right now, Paul, that anxiety is at epidemic proportions in this moment in time. And people don't understand where anxiety actually comes from. And because they don't understand how the dots are connected, they don't understand how to change their state of anxiety that they live with. I agree that it is at an all-time high. We are seeing people not only anxious but depressed, and the levels of suicide are up. The amount of domestic violence is up. We are facing a time we've never experienced before. and People don't know how to handle that. So of course, the anxiety is so much higher. And right now in here in Canada, they're talking about a second lockdown. So there's a lot of changes that are gonna come around. And I know that you're residing now in the United States and there's so much anxiety there. What can people do to control or to at least help themselves when it comes to dealing with their anxiety? You know, that's, a, that's the important question, isn't it? How do we mitigate the anxiety that we're feeling in this moment. I think it's really unfortunate that we've adopted in society today, the media has and people have this phrase called social distancing. It's really unfortunate. I think what would be way better if we had adopted the phrase physical distancing, but social connection, because it is the sense of disconnection that a lot of people are feeling, especially in these lockdown moments that is contributing to that sense of anxiety. Dr. Robert Brooks and his colleagues at the Harvard Medical School, a number of years ago, they did a landmark study called the Hardiness Study. And they were looking at what makes people stress resistant as opposed to stress susceptible. What are the key differentiators? And one of the things that they found in this powerful study that they did was that a sense of connection is one of the four primary tools in our coping skills toolbox. The more disconnected we feel, the more alone we feel, the more helpless and hopeless we feel, the more stress susceptible we are. The more connected we are, the more we believe we have an emotional safety net in people around us, friends, family, work colleagues, and so on. The more 
we are resistant to the ravages of stress in our life. And the social distancing implies a sense of disconnection in my mind, where what we do want to do is physical distancing because the virus has to be transmitted from one person to another. And physical distancing helps reduce that. I wish we were using physical distancing, but social connection. And fortunately, there are many platforms now that are evolving. Zoom that we're talking on right now being one of them that help people to be socially connected as opposed to disconnected. And that's actually a good thing. Technology is helping us to do that. So one of the things we can do to mitigate the sense of anxiety that we feel is to remain socially connected. Another important one is to manage our perspective on the situation, because a lot of people are not doing a good job on that front. In my experience, based on my observations and the discussions I have every day with people who are struggling with anxiety. And what would you do or how do we manage that? I think the first thing to understand, really understand, is where does anxiety come from? How do we create it in ourselves? Because it's misunderstood by the vast majority of people. I've worked with many thousands of high-performance people around the globe, and anxiety is something that they wrestle with too. Even though they're highly successful, they still have moments of anxiety in their life. And I've been doing seminars around the world, as you have. And in every situation, I ask this question of people, and I think it might help your listeners to gain some insight on this. I ask the people in the group, whether it's a tier one special forces team, a high performance race car driver team, whatever it happens to be a leadership team in a big company, what is it that stops you from delivering your best moments of performance? You know, those moments of virtuosity where at the end of that performance, you feel like punching your fist in the air and saying, yes, why can't it always be that way? That was a top drawer performance. Why isn't it always that way? What is it that gets in the way and corrupts your mindset that prevents you from creating those moments of personal virtuosity that you're obviously capable of achieving because you've achieved them? But why isn't it always that way? 100% of the time, not 90%, 100% of the time, the first thing I hear is the same thing for everybody. It doesn't matter what culture they're from, what language they speak, how old they are, whether it's a man or woman or what their job is, people say the same thing, even highly successful people. What do you think it is? What's your, what's your sense of it? What is it in the moment of the performance that gets in the way of creating that moment of virtuosity? The first thing that's coming to my mind would be what if I just can't repeat it. It is that mental sabotage. What if I, I know I did it before? I've got competition. I've got a million things going on in my mind. I just, what if? It's that big, what if the worst happens? Well, would it surprise you to know that you've just answered the same thing everybody else does? The first word that I hear from the audience when I pose that question, within 10 seconds, someone says, fear. And I know it's coming. So my automatic response is fear of what? While somebody else says fear of failure. Somebody else is chiming in at the same time. Self-doubt, lack of confidence, worry over the consequences of not being good enough, worry over the consequences of failure and what it might represent. 
100% of the time, that is what I hear. That's what corrupts. The fear over outcome. The second thing that I hear universally as well is if I'm not connected to what I'm doing, if I'm distracted, if I'm not fully engaged in the moment of what I'm doing, I will not do my best work. And that's what people in the high performance world covet. The mental toughness to be focused on the right thing at the right time, because it is what generates not only their best performance, but it crushes performance anxiety for a simple fundamental reason. That is the basis of the performance equation that I created about 30 years ago. What do you tell them then when they present these fears of failure, this worry, whatever, how do you then get them to eliminate that fear and that anxiety so that they can repeat what they know they can already achieve? The basis of it is the difference between information and knowledge. The library is filled with information, but information has no value to me unless I transform it into knowledge. And the difference between those two is that knowledge is information that I apply to my life. So what I try to do is I try to help them to understand how the dots are connected so that they transform information that I offer into knowledge, because not only do they accept it as being true, but then they work at applying it in their life because it's not a magic bullet. I'm not a magician. I'm an educator. So my whole program my books are all structured around helping people to understand how we create results and what the link is between anxiety and results. Have you got a piece of paper in front of you and a pen? I do. Okay. Well, maybe I'll encourage your listeners as well to grab a pen and paper and to kind of walk through this simple little exercise, because I'm going to try and share with you the core the root of the problem, as I've seen it to be worldwide, not just from the performance side, but from the anxiety side of the question. I want you to write the word results on the right side of the page. I've never met anyone in 49 years who has come to me and said, I want to be a loser. I'd like to fail. I'm really hoping to come in last this weekend. Could you show me how to suck at this thing I'm about to do? Because I'd really like to suck at it. <laughs> Never, not once. Isn't not that once? interesting? Not, not a once? single time has anyone ever approached me and said, my goal is to be a loser. <laughs> and to, my goal is to fail. Well, now, now that surprises me, Jacques. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> to hear that. Not once. Wow. Yeah, not once. Not a single time. Uh, now, I've met people who don't know how to be successful. No one's ever taught them the process necessary to create results, but they're smart and they're willing to work hard. And if you teach them the process behind creating results, they work hard, they apply it, and generally those people become highly successful. I've also met people and worked with people who are two steps removed from that goal of success. And they're harder to tip over because they're not one step removed, they're two steps removed. And their problem fundamentally is they don't believe they can be successful. And until you believe you can be successful, you never will be. 
because you'll never engage the process necessary to become successful. And then there's a third group of people that fortunately I never have to deal with. And those are the people who aren't willing to work hard to become successful because anybody who has become successful understands that it takes sweat equity to get there. It doesn't just fall out of the sky into your lap. You have to work at it. So the question isn't do you and I and do your listeners share the goal of being successful, of good results in their life? Because I'm absolutely confident based on my 49 years of experience that everybody wants to be. The really important question is how do we create results? Here's the simple equation. To the left of that word results, I want you to write this. A times B equals results. This equation, I call it the performance equation, has been true since the dinosaurs roamed the earth. And they will be true for the next 200 years, or at least as long as we're on this rock. It applies to every single person I've ever met anywhere in the world from any culture. It applies to every single job around the globe. And it is the root behind how we sabotage ourselves and how we create anxiety. So let's discuss it for a moment because I think this is the key. Results are a product of two factors, two things, A and B. What is A? A is my performance. What I bring to the party in the moment when I engage that moment of performance. As a law enforcement and military specialist, those moments where you are in front of a life threatening situation and had to react, to respond. A surgeon who's about to go in to a surgical procedure to operate on somebody's brain, a combat pilot, the moment before an engagement downrange, etc. Those moments of performance, the knowledge, the skill, the experience, the fitness that we have in that moment is what we've got. We can't reach back into our back pocket, pull out a magic wand and wave it and have more knowledge, skill, and experience than we have in that moment. How well rested we are, how well hydrated we are, whether we've been eating well. These are all things that contribute to the A game that we bring at the moment that performance is required. It's not good enough, by the way, just to have it. We also have to bring it. Because we could be knowledgeable, skillful, and experienced, but be lazy, right? Or sleep deprived, or preoccupied with an argument we had with our partner, or worried about the health of a family member in the hospital wrestling with COVID-19, or whatever. There are a lot of things that are variables that can reduce the effectiveness of what we bring to the moment of our performance, and turn it instead of into an A-game performance, into an A-minus performance. But let's say for argument's sake, and we'll use the competitive world as an example, and then we'll turn our attention to the COVID world. If a competitor brings their A game to their moment of performance, their top drawer best performance in whatever sport or occupation they're engaged in, are they guaranteed to get the result that they want? No, they're not. They could bring the best performance they're capable of to that moment of performance and they might not get the result they're seeking. And the simplicity of that statement is wrapped up in the equation. 
The equation doesn't read A equals results, does it? No, it does not. It says there's another variable in the mix. So what are the B factors in the equation? What do they represent? By definition, the B factors in our life are the many things that we cannot control. What our competitors do, weather conditions, equipment malfunctions, the fact that this virus exists and it is being transmitted within society. We can't control what other people do. We can physically distance, we can wear a mask, but if other people choose not to physically distance and not to wear a mask and not to wash their hands and to congregate in large groups, we can't actually control that. And yet it is contributing to the growth of this pandemic and has around the globe. The B factors in life are the many things that we can't control. And they ultimately have an impact on the outcome. Sometimes it's a B plus and it works in our favor. We're the windshield. Other times it's a B minus and it works against us and we're the bug. Sometimes the Bs are very big and they have a major effect on the outcome. If something breaks mechanically in my race car, I might not even finish the race. It might be the best race of my life, but I still won't achieve the result I was seeking because of something outside of my control. You could be the best sharpshooter, the best military specialist on the planet, but if you are simply faced with overwhelming odds, you might not survive. Not because you didn't do a great job, but because the B factors of that moment overwhelmed you. So what in the equation A times B equals results is the only thing that we can actually control? Us, ourselves. A, why can't we control outcome? Because we can't control the many things we can't control. And sometimes, often, those things have an impact on the outcome, right? So let's backstep a bit and look at this equation because now we're getting to the nub of the problem. Rule number two of the mental road says the conscious mind can only actively process one thought at a time. I could prove that to you if you wanted me to. Easy enough to do. But let's assume it's true. What's the impact of rule number two on performance and ultimately on anxiety? Here's what it is. If I'm focused on the wrong thing, in the same moment in time, it's impossible to be focused on the right one. Does that affect performance? If in the moment of performance, I'm focused on the wrong thing, might that impact my performance? Absolutely. In your profession, it might have led to death. Correct. Right? Here's the equally elegant and equally simple solution, though, to that problem. If I control the deployment of my focus to be on the right thing, I'll never be focused on the wrong one at the same moment in time. And that's why the holy grail of performance is the ability to control the deployment of my focus to be on the right thing at the right time. And that's what mental toughness is. And you know what? We need mental toughness today to get through this pandemic environment in the best way possible. But what is the problem? P 
people are focused on the consequences of what's happening, on the many things that they can't control. But by definition, we can't control them. And if we're focused on the things we can't control, what can we not be focused on at the same moment in time? The things we can control. Exactly right. And therein lies the problem, doesn't it? It's a real problem. And here's the thing. In those moments of performance virtuosity that we've all had in our life, those moments where we punch our fist into the air and say, yes, why can't it always be that way? How were we focused? What were we focused on? We were fully focused on what we were doing in the moment we were doing it. We were not preoccupied by consequences. We were not preoccupied by failure. We were not even preoccupied by success. We were fully engaged in what we were doing. We were not worried about being successful. We were aware that things were going well, but we were fully focused on what we were doing. And in those moments of virtuosity, is there anxiety? No. In fact, most people will label it as a very calm, still, emotionally clear and serene place that is matched to fierce intensity sometimes, to intellectual intensity, and sometimes, as you know, even physical intensity. But it is a calmness of spirit, an internal quiet, that is the basis of those moments of personal virtuosity that we possess. And here's an interesting way to think about anxiety. Anxiety is a symptom of incorrect focus because it is a product of incorrect focus. Anxiety only manifests and grows when we shift our focus away from what we're doing, the things that we can control, to start worrying about how we're doing and what the consequences of that worry are. So how do we talk ourselves off the ledge? We have to eavesdrop on the quality of the mind chatter going on inside of our own head to tap into the quality of that thought process. Because most people don't police their thoughts. They just think. They allow their conscious mind's thoughts to be defined by the environmental circumstances around them. And that's why most people are good when things are going well, and they're junk when they're not. Not because they have to be, but because they allow their conscious mind's thoughts to be defined by the circumstances and the situation around them. And they get sucked into worrying about the outcome of this moment. And that's what generates the anxiety. So how do you stop that? The key is controlling the deployment of focus. When you start sensing that you're becoming anxious or you see anxiety in someone else, Understand this, that anxiety is growing in them because they've shifted their focus away from being engaged fully in what they're doing to worrying about the consequences of what they're doing. And usually that worry is associated with failure. Remember when I asked the question, even to the most high-performing groups in the world, what gets in the way? You said it yourself, self-doubt and fear. That is what undermines 
the mindset that will allow us to get through this pandemic in the best way possible. Does having, does cultivating and sustaining the best possible mindset guarantee the results we want? Of course not, because we can't control outcome, because we can't control the things we can't control. But here's the fundamental truth. It optimizes the likelihood of being, of the outcome being as good as it can be, given the B factors that I can't control. And wishing it to be better, it's not going to make it better. Worrying about it being better has never made it better either. What will make our path through this moment the best that it can be? A full-throated engagement and focus on the things that we can control that will help us to get through it in the best possible way. That is beautiful. That's the simplicity of the problem. It's also the simplicity of the solution, but it's bloody hard to do. And that's why there are not champions walking around everywhere, right. quite and, honestly. Well, true. And like anything that brings about the results that we want, we all have to put the work into it. It's not like the work is going to be done for ourselves. And you said it a little bit earlier, does everybody who is knowledgeable, skillful, fit, or whatever. Do they always achieve? No, not only do they have to have it, but they have to bring it. Yeah. And, and you do have to put the work into getting what you want out of life because waiting for it to happen for you is not going to happen. And this is the moment that we have to step up and bring it because it's the most challenging moment. And if you think about depression, the basis of depression which as you said, extremely high. And the consequences of that anxiety are spilling over into domestic violence, violence against other people and so on. The basis of that is fear and the anxiety that that fear produces. And people are reacting emotionally and they're not reacting within their control. They feel hopeless. They feel helpless. They feel that there's nothing they can do that can change their lot in life. Dr. Martin Seligman, the guy who basically coined the term learned helplessness has written a lot on this. And I'd really encourage people to look up his name and to look at his two books, seminal, he's written many, but learned helplessness and learned optimism are two important contributions that he has made to the human species. Again, his name is Martin Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. I think a lot of people right now need to understand where learned helplessness comes from and how learned optimism is part of the solution to dealing with this scourge of anxiety and the depression that often leads to suicide and other life-altering decisions, which often cannot be taken back. That is uh, something I am going to look more into. I've written about learned helplessness in my book as well. And you and I, I know have, you have. Yeah, we've had some great conversations over the years about self-sabotage and, and how we think and how 
what we think really manifests into what we do and all kinds of things. You, I remember once said something that stuck with me ever since you said it. You said something like, when you, when you find yourself digging that hole that is bringing you down, the first thing you got to do is you got to stop digging. I, I remember, I think we it's, were in Toronto having, having dinner. Dinner, yeah, absolutely. It's rule number one of the mental road. Rule number one simply states, if you want to climb out of a hole, the first thing you have to do is put the shovel down and stop digging. But it implies that you have to recognize that you're digging. Because if you don't eavesdrop on the mind chatter going on inside of your own head, you won't catch yourself in the act of mentally digging. And what does mentally digging sound like? It sounds like exactly what you said gets in everybody's way. What if? What if I'm not good enough? What if I disappoint some people? What if I fail? What if I get hurt? What if I can't feed my family? What if I lose my job? What if? What if? What if? Right. And the reality of it is, in many instances, I can't change and control the things that I'm worried about. They are a product of the environment in this moment. What I can change, what I have 100% control over, is not the things that happened to me. It is the perspective I adopt about the things that happened to me and what I choose to do in the face of those challenges. That is 100% in my control. And that is the heart of rule number six. Rule number six says your perspective determines your conscious mind's dominant thought. Choose your perspective carefully. It is a choice, but once you make that choice and you adopt that belief, your unconscious mind acts on that and says, aye, aye, captain, and takes you in that direction. People do not understand the functional relationship between our conscious thought and our unconscious mind. Our conscious thought serves as the rudder that steers the direction of our boat. It's unbelievably powerful. And if we were, I think I showed you this with the pendulum exercise at dinner a few years ago. Mm -hmm. How we think in our conscious mind determines the direction of our boat and it, it determines our emotional response. Anxiety is a product of our perspective and what we choose to believe about the situation in this moment and what the future may bring. And the thing is, we can control that belief because it's 100% in our control, but most people don't. They allow their belief to be defined by the circumstances around them. And that's why they're good when things are going well and they suck when they're not. Right. That's a scientific term, by the way. Yeah. The mental strength has not yet been built. The, the habits have not yet been developed. The rules have not yet been followed. Because we don't understand, most people don't understand how the dots are connected. That's the fundamental problem. And that's what you tried to do in your book. And what I've tried to do in mine is help people to understand how the dots are connected. Because once we do, we are fully more than halfway to the solution. Based right. on my experience of 49 years, working with many thousands of high performance people. 
and successfully so. Now, your rules, how many of them do you, did you create? All seven. I, I created these the, these seven rules. The seventh rule is kind of a bonus rule. Could you take us from one to seven? Sure, I can do that. Let me tell you why I created these simple rules. I was trying to figure out, how, because I'm an educator, that's my role. Yep. How do I help people to understand how we mentally sabotage ourselves? and also how we can avoid that trap. So I created a framework that I use in my teaching. In my books, the three books I've done, I have a chapter on each of the rules that fleshes out what they represent. And that framework is simply a way to help people to understand in the simplest way possible, how the way we think impacts, not just how we perform, but our emotional response as well. Rule number one says, if you want to climb out of a hole, the very first thing you have to do is stop digging. Because it's impossible to be thinking correctly at the same time as we're thinking incorrectly. We can't think positively and productively at the same moment that we're thinking negatively and destructively. We can follow one po a positive thought with a negative one, or we can follow a negative thought with a positive thought, but we can't think both positively and negatively at the same time. Think about it this way. If we were in a hole in our yard, 10 feet deep, with a shovel in our hand, and we're charged with the act of digging, it would be impossible to continue digging and climb out of the hole at the same time, because those two actions are mutually exclusive. So what it implies is, we need to understand, we need to eavesdrop and catch ourselves in the act of mentally digging. Because the sooner we do, the shallower the hole is and the less time and emotional energy it takes to redirect our thinking to the correct kind of thinking. Rule simply says, if you want to climb out of a hole, you got to put the shovel down, stop digging. Rule number two says the conscious mind can only actively process one thought at a time. It's a fundamental truth that has huge impact. And here's the basic impact of rule number two. If I'm focused on the wrong thing, at the same moment in time, I cannot be focused on the right one because I can only actively process one thought at a time. But if I actively focus on the right thing, I'll never be focused on the wrong thing at the same moment in time. The athlete who's worried about the outcome of something, who's focused on how fast he is or how well he or she is doing, while they're engaged in doing what they do, what can they not be fully focused on in that same moment? What they're doing. What is it that drives the result? Is it a preoccupation over result that drives the result? When has worrying about the result ever made the result better? Never. When has fearing failure ever made failure less likely? Never. In fact, both of those thought processes lead to greater failure because I fundamentally end up being focused on the wrong thing. Correct. And if I'm focused on the wrong thing, I can't be focused on the right one at the same moment in time. Yeah. Okay. Rule number three says you can't not think about whatever you're thinking about. <laughs> you can't not think about whatever's on your mind. Right. 
I don't want you to think about the next thing I'm going to describe for you. No, a challenge. I do not want you to picture in your mind's eye a huge pink elephant wearing purple boxer shorts with great big yellow dots splashed all over them. Oh, great. It's hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. now we got What is the only way we could not see the pink elephant with purple shorts and yellow dots in our mind's eye? What's the only way we could accomplish that? By thinking of something else Mm -hmm. with some degree of intensity, by relying on the truth of rule number two. If I'm thinking about the orange squirrel with the blue bushy tail, I probably won't picture the pink elephant with the purple shorts. Right. Because I preoccupy my mind with something else. And because I'm focused on that something else, I don't process that other thing. Because rule number two says I I can't. And rule number three says I can't not think about what I'm thinking about. The more we tell ourselves not to worry about this COVID moment, the more we tell ourselves not to be afraid, what do we picture in our mind's eye? All the negative outcomes that we fear. And they are amplified. They are amplified. Bullhorn on max in our own mind. Yeah. Yeah. And our mind will run away with it and create even more anxiety the longer that we hold on to those images. And the more we try not to think of them, the more deeply we think of them because of rule number four. Rule number four says your conscious mind's dominant thought determines your emotions, your behaviors, and ultimately your ability to perform. It is your conscious mind's dominant thoughts that serve as the rudder that steers your boat. And what people don't understand is that emotions are an unconscious mind function, not a conscious one. And we cannot control directly our unconscious mind. We can directly control our conscious thought by the thoughts we choose to think, what we choose to focus on, what we choose to believe. But once we adopt that belief or we focus on that thing, our unconscious mind takes over and we lose direct control. It salutes, it serves as the crew, it says, aye, aye, captain, and the rudder determines the direction of our boat. What we can control is how much of the emotion we're feeling we show to other people. We can control, or at least try to control, the emotions that appear. But what we can't directly control is the actual feeling itself, the emotion itself. Because if we could, I could say to you, Paul, I want you to be sad now. Go ahead. We're all waiting. You could act sad. I could. You're an actor. You could act sad. But what do actors need to know? They want to know what's the backstory to this character? What is this person thinking? What things did this person live? Why do you need to know that? You need to know it because you have to understand the mindset of that person. And if you can put that mindset into your mind, the feelings that will grow will be the real feelings, not the acted feeling. So anxiety is the product of our conscious mind's thought process, and we can't control it. If I think sad thoughts, 
I may actually become so sad that I may start to cry. But if I process happy thoughts in my conscious mind, I will feel like I'm walking on a cloud and I will feel a sense of joy and elation that isn't faked, it is real because I've thought about thoughts in my conscious mind that have gradually led me to come to become this way. So here's the key to this question of anxiety, isn't it? Mm. Understanding that I create my anxiety by how I have chosen to think in my conscious mind. Because once I adopt that train of thought, once I adopt that thought process and those beliefs, my unconscious mind's job is to salute and say, aye, aye, Captain, I'll take you in that direction. And we cannot stop it because we cannot directly control it. Rule number five says, but we are in control of our conscious mind's dominant thought. We are in control of our dominant thought. The problem is people don't. They allow their conscious mind's dominant thought to be defined by the circumstances around them. And that's why they're good when things are going well and they're junk when they're not. Not because they have to be, but because they've allowed the circumstances in their life, the B factors of life, the B minus factors of this COVID moment to get in the way of their conscious mind's dominant thought. And it has hurt their ability to perform in the moments when they need to be at their best. And it has created unbelievable levels of anxiety that simply demonstrate a shift in focus to the fear associated with outcome and away from the process of execution, the A in the A times B equals results equation. And you are so right. You said this earlier too, that people don't police their thoughts nearly enough. And when you don't take control of those thoughts, those thoughts will take control of you. And you are on a- Absolutely. Yeah. Your unconscious mind does it automatically and you cannot stop it. And I could prove it to people if I was sitting in front of them in a way that they would never forget. It's that simple pendulum exercise. Yeah. And people don't understand this. Even high performance people don't understand how the dots are connected. And that's why they too sometimes struggle with the same issues that other people struggle with just less often. But for them, the consequences could be substantially more significant. Mm -hmm. In the law enforcement community, in the special forces community, it could represent the difference. Good results represent the difference between living and dying for yourself and for the people you are charged to save or protect. So the consequences of being incorrectly focused are major. Mm. The consequences today of being incorrectly focused are major. And it is in the most challenging times that we need to be at our best mentally to get through it. But unfortunately, it is in the most challenging times that people have the greatest difficulty being on their mental game and being at their best because they mentally sabotage themselves without even realizing how they do it. That's the sad part of this whole situation. We do not have an effective toolbox 
and the tools that are there, we don't really understand how to use them. And things don't get better and we worry more and our anxiety goes through the roof with all of the knock-on consequences that that brings. That's what we're seeing now is that mental wellness being shattered for so many people simply because they are focused on the things that they cannot control. And this is not taught, is it? You and I both know this. This is why we wrote our books. This is not something that is common knowledge. And yet around the globe, everybody wrestles with this issue of fear of failure, self-doubt, lack of confidence. And they don't realize that they're harpooning themselves. Mm. It's the reason I wrote my second book. The title is Helping Kids Perform, Mental Skills Every Parent, Teacher, and Coach Should Master. Because parents, teachers, and coaches don't understand this either. And kids learn wrong habits. Is it not fundamentally true that we are taught in society that is good it is good to be worried about results. It's good to express concerns over results. It's healthy to be worried about results because it demonstrates what? What does worrying about outcome demonstrate? That we care. Because if you see someone who doesn't get bent out of shape because they don't accomplish the thing they were trying to accomplish, our immediate reaction is, well, they don't really care do they? They must not really care. And that is fundamentally false. The irony is that is fundamentally untrue. In fact, if a person really cared about results, they wouldn't focus on results. They would focus on the perfect execution of the process, the A, that leads to the result. Because they would trust in the basic truth that if I do A to the best of my ability, whatever the result is in that moment, it will be the best that be, can be gotten by me in that moment, except for the things that I can't control. And there's no sense worrying about them because worrying about them never makes the result better. It makes the result worse because if I'm focused on outcome, what can I not be fully focused on in the same moment in time? process yes. that leads to it. And what that's the root of the problem across the globe. And what you have said is so true and applies to every aspect of life. And everything, I, personal relationships, hobbies, work life, getting through this COVID situation, a terrorist situation, operating on somebody's brain, making the best round of golf we can create. This is it. I've, I've taught this in many of my keynotes when it comes to negotiating. Far too many people focus on the outcome of what they want at the end and miss the process, the journey, the opportunities, those nuances. To really listen and, and to influence and to, to drop a breadcrumb and to recognize a glimmer of recognition that you can exploit. If you're not fully in the moment, how will you know what the right focus is? Because people misunderstand this issue of focus, this skill set of focus, because in their mind, the solution to being better is that you need to focus more. How often do we hear that? You're just not focused, Susie. If you're just focused more, you'd do better. You have to focus more. 
That is patently false. Here's why. If the thing you're focused on is the wrong thing, how does focusing more help? Mm -hmm. It actually makes the problem worse. So the real secret to performance is not focusing more. It is focusing correctly on what matters in the moment that it does. And in this COVID moment, if we want to improve the likelihood of getting through this in the best possible way, we should stop worrying about getting through it. We should focus on the steps that are within our control that will optimize the chances of getting through it and trust that if we do that, whatever the result we get, and we can't be sure it's going to be what we want, but whatever we get will be the best that can be gotten by us in that moment, except for the B factors that we cannot control. What a beautiful thing. And you know what? The day I recognized the truth of that 40 years ago is the day that performance anxiety disappeared in my life because I was just like everybody else as a young man, worried about being successful, worried about not being successful. And it crushed anxiety in my life, not just in a, in a competitive moment when it matters, but in life in general, because I trust now in the fundamental truth. And it's the thing that's impacted my life personally the most over the past 49 years is the realization that I don't have to worry about results because they are going to be whatever they're going to be. I focus all of my energy on the process of executing as well as I can. And I have gotten to the point where I emotionally trust that if I do that, whatever the result is, it will be the best that can be gotten by me in that moment, except for things that I can't control. And there's no sense worrying about them because I can't control them. There's an old Tibetan proverb. I wish I could find the actual wording of it. I've looked, but I've never been able to find it. That essentially goes something like this. If you must face a challenge and you can change it, don't worry about it because you can change it. But if you can't change it, don't worry about it because you can't change it. Nike actually got it right. Just do it. <laughs> yes. Just focus on what you're doing and strive to bring the best you got and it will optimize the outcome, whether it's a sport, whether it's a personal relationship, whether it's a life-changing COVID moment. And, you know, Jacques, something else that occurs to me and that I've written about, and I know that you've written about, we've spoken about it. It's not enough to do one thing one time. We have to build a muscle. And that habit. requires... A habit. A habit. That's it. It requires consistency. It requires doing the right thing more than once, several times, until it becomes second nature to you. 28 days in a row to create a habit. Right. And, and that's the best thing. You cannot just work on a relationship one day and then forget about it for seven days. If it's a very important re relationship or intimate relationship, you can't go to the gym just once a month and expect results. You got to start thinking positively and doing the work and just building the, the performance the knowledge the skills, whatever it is that's going to take you out of this rut. And you got to continue working at it and focusing on the right thing. That's what I tell my clients. It's part of the process that I try to get them understand. Our job is to cultivate 
and then sustain a mindset that optimizes us rather than one that sabotages us. So we have to understand what does the mindset that optimize, optimizes us, what does that look like? How does it feel from the inside out? And that's essentially what the ACT model process is designed to do, to give people a toolbox to create and sustain the kind of mindset. Because once we adopt that mindset in our conscious mind, our unconscious mind salutes and says, aye, aye, captain, because our conscious thoughts are the captain of our ship. They serve as the rudder that steers the direction of our boat. How many people do you think in the morning get up and think to themselves, this is who I want to be. This is who will walk in my shoes today. This is the mindset that I want to have today as I engage the challenges and the opportunities of my life. Nobody does that. Very, 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 very few people do that. Only champions do. Most people stumble out of bed and they start shuffling their feet and they bump into life. If the thing they bump into early in the day is a positive thing, it sets the mood and the tone for the entire day and it ends up being a positive day. It helps them to adopt the pinkish filter through which they interpret the things that happened to them on that day. And it was something they got by chance. And something they got by chance. But it's equally true that if they bump into something lousy early in the day, it ends up being a lousy day. Because what it does is it causes a more brownish, crappy filter to be set in place. And now they interpret everything else that happens in their day through the prism of that perspective. Because the filter is the perspective we adopt. Do we have to do it that way? Hell no. We can take control of the rudder if we choose to, but we have to realize the relationship between our conscious mind as the rudder and what our unconscious mind does with that, including the emotional response we create as a product of those conscious mind thoughts. And people don't understand that. And it's something that once they become aware of it, awareness is not enough. You, once you have that knowledge, you have to do something with that knowledge. In my book, I have a section on exactly what you talked about. I said, how many of us spend time night before we're going someplace or the morning choosing a wardrobe to wear? We all do it. You know, what am I going to wear today? I'm going to do my makeup, going to do my hair, whatever. Some of us don't, but most do. No, I, I, <laughs> I just didn't do my makeup today because I'm talking with you. But on a regular day, a lot of people spend more time getting themselves ready for the day physically than they take to go into their mind to choose the attitude, to choose. Today, there are two closets in my mind. One is dark. It has hopelessness. It has fear. It has anxiety. It has sadness. On the other side, there's this beautiful closet filled with hope, filled with brightness, filled with fun and love and success. I'm going to choose from that closet. But it's a conscious decision, as you said. It's something that we have to get into the habit of doing every day. What attitude do I choose for myself and to greet the world with? And that's what I'm going to stick to because that's what I promised myself to do. And we go out with that. 
mantras. It's going to be a great day. How many self of us- self self affirmation? Yes. What do I want? What is the mindset that I want to have? That's the cultivate part. How do I sustain it by repetition? If I don't repeat, don't expect to sustain it any more than if you do one bicep curl a month. <laughs> don't expect to develop your bicep. Right. Exactly. Jacques, your information has been so enlightening and so wonderful. And before I let you go, I want to say how thankful I am that you came on the show and that you shared so much knowledge with us. If you had to leave my listeners with just a couple of more thoughts, what would you tell them? Because COVID-19, as we said, is, and, and this was before we spoke on video, was that it's here for a while. What would you tell my listeners other than the great information that you've given them? But if there's a couple of more moments of inspiration that you could share, what would those inspiring thoughts be? I guess if I was to boil it down, to simplify it, here's what I would say. This is a moment where we need to be at our best individually and collectively to get through it. Our mindset is critical in this moment. We control that mindset. So we need to focus on the things that we can control in order to not focus on the things that we can't control because our outcome will be predicated on our actions, influenced by things we cannot control, but we control our actions. And that's what we need to focus on. I think that's the key. And there's so much that we can control. We can control the level of social connection that we engage in. What your brother did a month or so ago to bring all of us cousins and all of the family together on a big Zoom call was an attempt to maintain that social connection, even though physically we're disconnected out of necessity. There's so many things we can control. We can wear a mask, not only to protect ourselves from others, but to protect others from us. Right. We can maintain a physical distance because that reduces the transmission viability of this virus. We know that to be true. We can wash our hands often so that if we do pick it up off a surface, the proper hygiene techniques can minimize us catching it and so on. There are so many things we can do and that's what we need to focus on. Thank you, Jacques. And once again, I really applaud all the work that you have done. I know that you have worked in many high profile industries helping a lot of people get that focus, get that, get the results, putting the A times B into the results. You've taught so many people and have made a, a really big difference in their lives and in everybody's life uh, that you've touched. So thank you. I like to think so. And, and I appreciate those words, especially coming from you because you understand this better than most people do, given your own background, your own book, and if ever someone is interested in finding out a little bit more about my work or the things that I've done, probably, can I tell them what the easiest way is to find me? This is exactly where I was going to in just one second after I, okay. I complimented you because you really do deserve those compliments. But I did want to ask you before we, we stopped, you have three books out there and you have a website and you also give talks and help companies and everybody. So where can people... Well, the easiest way is to go point their web browser 
to drdelaire.co. And that will take them to my link tree, where there's a link to my books, to my website, to my social media stuff. So that's the easiest portal to access the information about what I do, what I've done, and how, how I communicate with people now. And it's, it's a simple address, drdelaire.co. Fantastic. Thank you. And Jacques, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and talking with you and having you share this great information. Stay safe and keep inspiring people, my friend. Thank you. And the same to you, Paul. I enjoyed the, the chat a great deal. And I look forward to when we can catch up for a meal again face to face. Me too. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 